Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things art-related. This is episode 115, Lessons from Boot Camp, recorded on November 28th, 2020. My name is Julie Bayfam balzer and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hi, Julie. How are you? I'm good. It's post-Thanksgiving, and I've emerged from my tryptophan coma. Oh, I'm still in a tryptophan coma. Those leftovers are serious business. I think we almost all three of us, after we ate Thanksgiving meal, were like, I need to go to sleep. <laughs> it was strong. It was strong. Uh, so a couple things of interest besides our Thanksgiving feast that you might be interested in. Uh, there are, I know I've mentioned it before, but there are new membership tiers. So there's a basic membership, which is $5.99, a... Um, Maker member, which is $14.99 a month, and then there is the Super Learner member, which is $34.99 a month, and you get lots of different things at each of those tiers. There's one that has a critique group, there's one that has studio vlogs, there are cup files, there are uh, downloads, there's all sorts of fun stuff uh, to check out, and that's a great way to support this show and also to learn something along the way, which is always a huge benefit. And if you would like to help the show in lots of other ways, you can also um, write a review or post about the episodes social media or just tell your neighbor so they tune in all that stuff really helps us and we appreciate it so thank you um, you want to mention the carved december business yeah so carved december is starting up on december 1st which will actually be i believe this podcast will go up after december 1st but it's never too late to join in on all the fun so carve december is my annual challenge to people to carve a stamp every day in december and i know you're thinking december so busy and who can carve a stamp every day and yes all those things are true and i will say this not as a brag but just to prove that you can do it last year Three days after having a baby, I managed to do Carve December. Um, and really and truly, in his first month of life, I did it because I limited myself to half an hour every day. And you can do it too. You just have to put the parameters in to make the project small, to make it doable. Um, this is year, gosh, I want to say it's like year six or seven of Carve December. Um, and it's going strong. It's a wonderful community. There are lots of people to meet. There is a companion class that goes with it, which is totally optional if you would like to take it. Although I am running a super special sale right now, which um, normally my um, Stamp Carving 101 class is $50 and you get it for just $10. If you also sign up for the Carve December class as a bundle. So that's a savings of 80%. Who doesn't like a savings of 80%? Plus, at the end, you know how to carve a stamp, which is really the coolest part. So that but is the important that. thing also is people to understand Carve December, which you uh, post your photos of the stamps you carve with the hashtag Carve December, that is free. Yeah. Everybody and anybody can do it, and you don't have to carve a stamp every day. But the class is a separate thing, yes. and it has teachers other than you in case they're tired of your voice. <laughs> it has wonderful teachers, and it is. I think it's always great to get a fresh perspective and also to get a taste of somebody you might not know about, and then you can go and visit them, which is always fun too. Um, so that's sort of all the business. I thought we would talk a little bit. So the reason I entitled this podcast Lessons from Boot Camp is because I just wrapped up teaching my my uh, five week design boot camp, which was a live online class uh, twice a week for five weeks. It was nine sessions overall. 
And I had a group of 10 in the morning and a group of 10 in the evening. And the really interesting thing, besides the fact that I actually learned so much, because I do think that when you teach something, you have to know it even better than when you just know it. I know that sounds stupid, but people have so many questions that you have to have a real depth of knowledge about a subject to teach it or it gets problematic really fast. So it forced me to really, really think hard about some things I've taken for granted. And so that was really exciting for me. So I feel really grateful that I came away with a deeper learning. Um, but I also... Uh, discovered the two classes were very different in temperament. And so sometimes I felt like I was teaching a different class in the morning and a different class in the evening, even though it was literally the exact same content. And part of that is because a big part of the class is sharing. And so the content does get dictated a little bit by what people are interested in. Uh, but it was just, it was a fascinating dichotomy. And then on top of that, I guess I took three things away from boot camp, and I'm giving them to you. So, uh, and the third thing that I took away, we are going to talk about sort of all of them a little bit more in detail. The third thing I took away is some lessons that I would like to, I thought about some blog posts I could write, and then I decided a podcast was a more appropriate place to share. I basically have five lessons that I can pass on to you uh, of things that I hope that my students took away. And I hope that you will uh, take away as well. So that's kind of the outline for our conversation today. Mom asked me before we started, she's like, what are we talking about today? I was like, you're smart. You'll be able to do this. Just hang on. And she was like, no, you have to tell me. So I, di I did tell her because she doesn't like coming in blind. But do you feel like you know the situation now, Mom? Yes. I just, <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not a person whom you can say, okay, I'm taking you on a surprise vacation and I'm not telling you where, just pack a bag. I am not that kind of person. No, you would hate that. You would hate everything about that. Yes. That makes me want to take you on a surprise vacation. I know. Okay. Right now you're not taking me anywhere. <laughs> it's true. Although for your birthday, we did scare you, which was a happy goal, at least for me. So it's a good thing to know. Your heart still works. Good job. I am telling you, I don't understand your focus on constantly leaping out at me. So she came over to our house for her birthday, and Steve and I jumped out around the doorway. I did grab a hold of her in case she, like, physically jumped, which probably also scared her. We yelled, surprise! It was very fun for everyone, including mom, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't know what kind of a terrible childhood you had that you think that's amusing. I was clearly not raised correctly. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's start at the beginning, which is the um, which is the whole thing about what the design principles and elements are, why they're important, and why I even decided to teach this class. Let's just start right there. So. Let's. Um, basics, the basic way that I will tell you is everything that I'm going to tell you, the elements and the principles is stuff that is readily available on the internet for free. It is also stuff that people spend years and years in art school studying and a lifetime trying to get, you know, figure out. A master. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. But what I was going to say is, so the elements of design or the elements of art are the basic building blocks. And you could say that the greatest sculptures and, you know, and uh, the worst paintings and architecture and basically everything that is designer art uses these elements. They're the building blocks. It's sort of like color mixing, right? You would say virtually every color has 
some either red, blue, or yellow in it somehow, right? That's the basic idea of color. So the elements of art is the same idea, which is these are the things that make art. So I keep using food metaphors, possibly because I like food. Um, and I keep saying you're a chef and these are the ingredients that you have to work with. So you have to get to know your ingredients because if you don't know what the ingredients taste like, the different ways that you can use them, then you're not a very good chef. So if you're an artist and you don't know the elements of art and what they are and how to use them and which ones you like and which ones you don't and which ones you gravitate towards, et cetera, then you're not a very good artist because you haven't really explored everything that's open to you. The good news is it's not a short, it's a short list. It's not like there's 500 elements of art. There are basically like eight. Um, and then the principles of art or the principles of design are the way that you use the elements. So those are like the tools, the uh, uh, different ways in which you could do it. So again, to link to food, you would say like saute, grill, steam. Those are all different ways that you could cook something. So the principles are all those different ways. And then you create your own recipes in terms of how you like to use different elements and principles and in what order and in what percentage and all that kind of stuff. But until you really get to know those elements and principles, you can't sort of figure out, I think at least, I really think that you can't sort of consciously figure out your own style and what you're working on. Um, so I very long ago when I did my getting started series, I have a, I think it's only $15. I have a, it may be a whopping $20. I have an online class that's a, basically like what getting started with the design principles that takes you through the basics of it. And again, it's nothing special. It absolutely takes you through it. So the great question is like, how is bootcamp different? In bootcamp, you know, just like a boot camp would be where they uh, make you do all the push-ups and sit-ups that you know you ought to do but you don't want to, the point of boot camp was to really hit the ground running hard and push everybody to do all those quote-unquote boring but calisthenics, the things that get you in art shape but you're unlikely to do yourself, you know? And it was a very interesting process to see I think like any boot camp would be to see, you know, who is out there, you know, absolutely doing every single, you know, jumping jack and who is kind of like, I'm an adult. I don't feel like doing jumping jacks anymore or I don't have the time to do jumping jacks or whatever it is. Um, so that was interesting for me, too. But anyway, I again, in teaching it, I delved deeper into all of it. And I actually feel like my art is getting better just because I'm even more hyper-conscious of those elements and principles than I ever was before. I see that you are looking at me with a face because we're yeah, on this camera. Is my face. Oh, that is your face. It's, it's not a judgmental just, this face. This is all there is. You have resting judgment face? Exactly. Okay. Um, so that's sort of the basic gist of that portion of it. Then I thought we could talk a little bit about the class dynamic just to say – uh, because it actually dovetails straight into my first lesson that I will put out to people, which is you may feel insignificant, but you have enormous power. And you have enormous power in your attitude, in your choices of behavior, in the way that you either choose to speak or choose not to speak, 
all of those things, all of those acts that you do, you may think you're, you know, just not taking up a lot of space and sitting in the corner and whatever else, but all those things that you do, they impact how the class feels for everyone else, you know? And in a live class and certainly in a live online class where we're all little Brady Bunch squares and so much of this class required communication, I was reminded once again how important it is to be present and how difficult it is to be present with so many things happening in our lives and Zoom overload and all that kind of stuff. And so I was thinking about some ways to help people understand how to be present. And a two-hour class is a long time to be present, especially after a long day, especially if you've had, you know, you know, not a great day, especially, especially, especially. Uh, but one of the ways that I think I find to be a way to be present in class for people, because I think that's obviously really important as a teacher, <clears throat> is to have a goal for the day, to have something that I am chasing in that moment, right? And so it could be as simple as something like, I want to really understand, you know, the element of line. That's like a really basic idea, but it could be more sort of esoteric as in a, I want to make someone else in this group feel better about their work that they're presenting. So then I'm very thinking every time somebody's presenting about how I can make them feel better. Or it could be, I want to feel energized. And you're asking yourself, like, how can you feel energized? Well, if you're thinking that in your head, you're looking constantly for what's that thing that's going to zap me, charge me, make me feel energized, you know? But it's like, if you're constantly seeking something, if you're actively looking for a thing and not just sort of being a receiver in general, I actually think it helps you be more present and engaged because you're listening in a different way because you're focused on trying to find that thing that you're looking for. So that's kind of my first tip that I would give about being present. I don't know, mom, I saw the bifocals go on. So do you have a thought? Well, my thought is I think that People are used to watching a Zoom and just sitting there passively or being called upon. And I think one of the things that your class seems to have done, both of them, is you seem to have succeeded in turning 10 strangers into a group. And part of that, I think, is also because you had the separate Slack channel where they could converse with each other and show their work and so on. But I think you made it so that they had to participate and that does get you more engaged. I agree. I think that part of this class, which was very much about like presenting your homework and talking about it and discussing and learning from each other and reinforcing lessons within seeing like the way, different ways that people interpreted things and it's taking advantage of the fact that it's a class and that you have other students to learn from that only works if people are sort of willing to share, if they're willing to, you know, be there and all that kind of stuff, which is what I think makes the whole live online thing really exciting and interesting. But 
I, it's and like you I, also gave a ton of homework. I did. Including before the class even started, they had homework. It's true. But I am reminded very much when I was when I was nervous about charging people real rates, which I still get sometimes nervous about charging people real rates for work that I do. Um, I still hear this woman Judy's voice in the back of my head saying, when you ask for money that a person can eat on and not just, you know, like pin money, so to speak, you are, you're not just asking for yourself, right? You're asking for me. You're asking for every person who needs to make a living because if talented people take very little money, it sort of makes it difficult for everyone, right? So we all need to ask for what we deserve. It depresses the market, right? It does. It depresses the market and a rising tide raises all ships, right? So, and I think the same thing is true in a class contribution model, which is even when you're uncomfortable sharing, even, and people were so brave. I mean, that's the thing. There were so many people who were so nervous about sharing and yet they were so brave in the moment about like, I hate this, but here it is. And they met an audience of people who who said, good for you, you know, that's great. And here are some ways that we can help you forward. And I thought, if nothing else, like that's a great lesson too, which is to say, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to not succeed. It's okay to, you know, share that, you are not always successful. And I think that's a really important lesson. You know, we too often, I think, see the where everything is successful. Well, that's the whole point of Instagram. Only show the carefully curated moment yeah. after like 500 photos are taken. Yeah. You show the one that actually happened to work. Well, one of the things that I said to people at the beginning is I said there's a theory that comes from startups, which I think we need to adopt when we're learning, which is fail fast. Meaning you're going to fail. You're going to have you're going to burn through if you're a startup person, you're going to you're going to burn through millions of dollars and you're going to ruin things. But the point is you can't take 10 years to do it. If you're going to fail, fail now, 18 months later, boom, that business bankrupt, start a new business. You know, you don't have the time to fail slowly. And so it's the idea about making bold choices and just like hitting it hard. And I think in learning is the same way. Like, you know, it it is important to just like, if you're gonna fail, fail. Keep failing, fail a lot. And I think that's part of what the volume of homework was meant to do is like, you're not gonna succeed at everything. But if you do six assignments, you have to assume that at least one of them you know what I mean, is going to be a success, even if the other ones are failures. So you just have to keep sort of like push, push, push. I really believe people often say that I'm a very prolific creator. And I say you would have no idea how prolific I am because I don't show the stuff that doesn't turn out well. So if you figure that every, you know, one out of every six is good, how much am I actually creating? Because you have to. I think I think it's a volume game. I think it's always a volume game. Okay. The second tip that I want to pass on to you uh, is about doing the work. So I've alluded to this already and I've kind of wandered through it a little bit. Um, So years ago when I was getting a divorce, I went to therapy and I said to the therapist, I just need to fast forward like a year or two. I know I'll be fine on the other end. I just... I just need to fast forward. And she said to me very wisely, something that is very true, which she said, the point is you can't fast forward. You have to go through it to get there. That's how you get there is by going through it, right? Um, 
and that is the magic secret, I think, to success in a lot of things, which is you have to put in the work. So it may not be fun to do some of the tasks and it may, I got asked the question quite a few times by some of the students, which is basically like, doesn't this take all the fun out of making? I think that this feels, you know, too academic or this doesn't feel like, like fun. It's sapping the joy out of the making for me, right? And I completely hear that and I completely see that. But what I would say to you is it is going to be mechanical at first. That is the nature of learning new skills. And you do not have to do the work, which actually gets into point three, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, you don't have to do the work, but if you do the work, you will get better. So that is to say, you know, if you want to dance and feel the music and have a good time, then that's a fantastic way to dance and you will be very happy. If you want to learn certain dance steps and figure out how to make your body move in certain ways that aren't natural to it, then you have to do the work and have the failures and the fall downs and the pain and the sweat and the drudgery of doing those dance steps, of learning them, of feeling like a fool for an enormous portion of it until it starts to all click together. Actually, I'm thinking of your child learning mm. to walk right now and a lot of times he's failing a lot of times or he's succeeding for like such a very short amount of time how terrible if he just decided well this is not for me yeah and like how much we celebrate every time he manages to walk three feet and we are screaming and clapping and jumping up and down for him and it shouldn't be any different and i will say it was very interesting to teach this class in harmony, so to speak, but uh, with raising my son who just turned one and like he's at that age where he's really developing and watching him struggle and fail and then seeing how clearly, you know, the art struggle and failure is actually the same thing. It's just, we're not used to doing that kind of struggle anymore. And so it feels problematic. I mean, I see how, it's like children don't know shame until you teach it to them. Children don't know embarrassment until you teach it to them, right? So he doesn't feel embarrassed or bad when he falls. He doesn't feel, you know, shamed that he can't do things that other, you know, people can do. He's just sort of interested and excited to get there and working through the mechanics of it. And I think if we could take that lesson, all of us, that it's okay, you know what I mean, that it's okay to fail and it's okay to do the work and that, that the only way to get better, there is no magic pill. There is no formula that I can show you where it's like, oh, if you draw a circle for the nose and then two circles here and then, you know, spacey eyes like this, ta-da, you can now draw beautiful faces. I mean, you can understand some mechanics through that, but it will take you some time and some work to work out how to really do it. So I think doing the work cannot be underestimated it is the only way to get better, period, period. Nuts. <laughs> yeah, I know. It stinks. I, I have long wanted to speak another language, play a musical instrument, you know, uh, 
be super thin, like, you know, uh, run a marathon, any of those things. I do not want to do the work to do any of those things. I have no desire to go jogging. I have no desire to diet. I have no desire to spend, you know, hours and hours in, in books, you know, learning a language. And I have no desire to practice an instrument. But I want to be able to do the things. I just don't want to do the work to get there. And that's a really important distinction to be able to make, right? Is this is this an idea of who you want to be or is this something that you're willing to work for? And I don't think the answer has to be that you're willing to work for it because point number three is I think you really have to think about there is a hobby of art and there is a profession of art. And then somewhere in the middle of it is people who don't necessarily want to become professional in terms of getting paid for it, but want to basically become uh, up their game, so to speak, in it. And what happens is professionals, I think very clearly, it's like, oh yeah, you should go to school, you should take classes, you should learn, you should do your exercises, you should do whatever, we get that. Hobbyist, yes, you should feel it, you should have fun, everything should be joyful, it's your hobby. People who want to get better, but are hobbyists, kind of sit in a weird middle ground, I think, because you sort of aren't sure, you sort of don't feel like you should have to do all the work that a professional does, because you really just do it for fun. But on the other hand, you do have some awareness that in order to get better, you're going to have to do some work. So it becomes this weird sort of pick and choose where you do the work that you like and not the work you don't, which means you only get better at some things and other things kind of go on the no fly zone because it's like, well, I don't really get that and I don't really wanna do that because that's hard, so I'm not gonna do it. So then you just sort of never deal with this whole area of stuff, which could make all the stuff you like even better because it's hard. And I think, um, I, or at least I know from the feedback from bootcamp that one of the things people took away is because this pushed them to work on stuff that they didn't necessarily want to do, they actually got better at things or started to understand things that had to sort of always confuse them previously. And I think that's really important. And the, the great thing is, can you do it for yourself? Can you do it for yourself? Because you can sit down with YouTube and make yourself do all these exercises and do all these things, you know, and but if you can't, it's like having an exercise buddy or going to an exercise class, like you might just need that extra kick in the pants, or you just maybe need to get a group of friends together, do you know what I mean, to push yourself to do it. But I do think that there's that weird veer of people who are hobbyists looking to be better. How much work do you actually need to want to put in? And I think that's really personal. Some people a lot some people not a lot. Art is not a one size fits all. And I think I've been saying that a lot of times to people who give me feedback on work that I've done. And I often say, I'm so, that's great that you would have done it differently because we are all different artists and that's fine, that's fair, you know? Um, so speaking of feedback, let's talk about critique. Point number four, uh, critique, is a scary word. Nobody likes to be criticized. No one's like, hey, you guys, give me some criticism. Um, we just, we, nobody likes it. It doesn't, it doesn't feel great. So let's talk about how critique is really about being, giving useful feedback. Actually, and let's talk about that critique and criticism don't have to be identical things. Yes, 100%. 
So I think a lot of people think that if I bring a piece of work, so for instance, my super learner group has a critique group and I think people get scared. They're like, if I bring work, what's going to happen is everyone's going to be like, here's the 10 ways that your work is stupid and so are you. But, you know, it doesn't it doesn't actually work like that. Um, I think that criticism generally is just telling people things like, uh, I don't like this painting and you should you should do better okay so and get a different haircut. and get a different haircut <laughs> while you're at it man p.s you smell bad um but so the thing is that would be impressive right oh. but the thing is none of that's useful what's useful is to say you know this piece feels very aggressive to me and I feel unsettled, I think, because of the diagonals in it. When I look at it, I can't quite figure out where I'm supposed to focus. That is a personal statement of how something is reacting to you with nothing prescriptive. I'm not telling you how to fix it. I'm not telling you that you need to fix it. I'm not telling you, you know, but I'm giving you detailed information about composition. It's diagonal about focus that's one of the uh, design principles you know and i'm just telling you how it makes me feel as a viewer right the same as people sometimes try to go the other way and they just say oh i love this i love this oh this is so great i love this that is actually deeply unuseful feedback what's really useful is to say i love the colors in this they're such a different palette than i see around or i love the way that you've captured light in this or i love that little dash of gray it changes the whole composition because these are specific things that someone can look at and make note of and say oh this is a technique i should try it again this is a composition i should try again or that was by accident I need to figure out how to do it on purpose next time. Or I was questioning myself about that and now I see it. So again, it's really about specificity and about trying to find a way to be open in what you're telling somebody. I belong to a quilt critique group and one of the things that bothers me a little bit about it, it's not my group, so I don't get to moderate it, so I just keep my mouth shut. Um, but one of the things that bothers me about it is that people are very prescriptive. What if you put that over on the left? What if you moved the red block over to the left and then the blue block to the right? And I, I think you should turn that upside down. And what I think is, while it may help someone fix a, a project in the moment, it doesn't actually help that person understand why they're making those changes so that they can insert themselves, their personal style, and also work on other pieces that way. If I say to you, it feels unbalanced to me on the left, you have the option of saying, great, I meant for it to be unbalanced. Or you have the option of saying, oh, you know, I thought that this blue piece was balancing it. And then we can have a long talk about value and scale and why it is or isn't balancing it. And then that's a much more uh, learning experience that's a much more um dialogue based experience i think critique is meant to be helpful and what i fear is people who hear the word crit and then turn off their brains 
I don't think that you can get better at anything without listening to critique. Notice that's not criticism. But I don't think you can get better at anything without listening to critique. I mean, even when our, my baby starts to walk, I, there's plenty of like, come on, you can do it. One foot in front of the other, a little bit straight. Can you hold on? You know, that is a kind of critique. It's not criticism of him. I'm trying to help him, right? Figure it out, figure it out. You know, use your hands, pull up here, et cetera, et cetera. It's coaching. And I think the more that you think of finding a group of people who are useful to you in terms of understanding how to talk to you about your work, that's great. Because, you know, I love Steve, but I could show him anything and he would be like, that's great. That's awesome. I love that. Good job which is very sweet, but it's not actually helpful, you know? And it's like, I need those people who not who are gonna tear me down, but who are gonna say, you know, it feels unresolved. There's something about the left side doesn't quite balance for me. And I can choose to leave it or take it, but they can tell me something that I can grab a hold of and therefore take advantage of. Does that make let sense? Me say, let me say two things. Yeah. One is that a person who's doing the critiquing also can learn from this experience because you learn how somebody else's mind works and maybe their intention is not something you normally would do, but now you're learning something about that and it's something for you to try in your work. Oh, even more than that, though, what I learn from critique every single time is it's actually very hard to verbalize why you like or why you don't like something. I mean, try it right now. P Seriously, people who are listening, try it right now. Think about anything. I like ice cream. Why do you like ice cream? What is it specifically about ice cream that doesn't happen with anything else that makes you happy? You know what I mean? It's actually really difficult. And so I find that I learn an enormous amount from like, so when I sit in the quilt critique group and I managed to say like, all these people were talking about this one woman's quilt and all of a sudden I was like, you know what it is? The part in the center uh, doesn't have any movement and the parts on the ends have movement. And so it's uh, it, it doesn't feel, they don't feel right. That's why it feels disjointed. But it took me a long time to be able to verbalize and say that. And once I did, I got it, she got it, everybody in the room, you know, so to speak, the Zoom room started popping. And it's like, if you can find the words to help someone else, you help yourself because you learn to see these things and to verbalize them. The other thing I was going to say is this is very reminiscent to me of you. The theater group you used to run had critique of plays that the members had written. And why don't you talk about that process and how that worked for you? So critiquing a play is obviously slightly different than critiquing a piece of art. But part of those critique sessions were people were not allowed to speak while they were receiving feedback. And the reason for this is that you generally cannot hear things when you're busy formulating a response. You just, you can't, you can't actually hear what the other person's saying. Not, not really, it doesn't land. You're just too busy concentrating on the words that you can rat-a-tat-tat, you know, defend. The other thing is we would often talk about, you know, 
you have to speak in I statements. Things have to be personal. You can't sort of generalize. We all think that. Well, how do you know that we all think that, you know? And again, keeping all of that in mind, one of my favorite metaphors that I have used over and over is there's a playwright who used to say that when you write a play, you have a shopping cart. And as you write the play, you fill it with things, you know, to make the play. But so do other people. Other people want to throw in ingredients. The thing you have to remember is when you get to the end of the supermarket, there's only one person who pays the bill for that shopping cart full of stuff, and it's you. So you have to decide what goes in the shopping cart, you know, and what doesn't. So even if somebody throws something in, you can throw it out or you can keep it. That's your choice. And I think critique is always going to be like that. Just because somebody says something doesn't make it true, good or bad. And so you have to be able to decide what you want to keep and what you want to throw away. Because I'm sure if you asked like Goya to talk to Picasso about his work, they might have some disagreements there, you know? I still, uh, we just went to see the the uh, 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 Monet. Monet exhibit and there was this really interesting caption on one of the signs where he was saying that he and Rousseau traveled together and he found he couldn't paint with Rousseau because he had someone else's ideas in his head and he had to go on a separate trip by himself in order to paint uh, because he just couldn't do it with someone else there. So again, like I think it's really important to take feedback, yes, because you need to hear it, but to also know what you're keeping. That's part of finding your personal style and who you are. Okay, last lesson number five from boot camp for you guys: go further than you think. What does that mean? So I think a lot of people stop at good enough. I think a lot of people stop at good enough all the time in their lives, let alone in their artwork. But um, good enough is that point where you're like, hmm, I don't hate it. Or, oh, I really kind of like this. And yet I run into so many people who say, you know, I really like this, but I look at it now and it just looks like a background. That's good enough. That is, it's fine, but it's not special. Because here's the thing. To get to special, you have to have some disasters. You have to. So I have always, always, always remembered Anne Bogart, director extraordinaire, who said she runs the City Company, which is a well-known sort of uh, alternative outside theater group said, you know, you can either have 10 totally fine mediocre plays or you can have one amazing, like out of this world play and nine complete flops. And you have to decide which kind of director you're gonna be. And for her, she decided she wanted to be the one amazing and 10 flops. And having seen some of her work, I can say, that's a pretty good ratio. When it's good, it is beyond anything you've ever seen. When it's bad, it's genuinely bad. But you know what? She's fine with that. And that's great. And not everybody would be. So this is not a one size fits all. You have to decide, are you an okay with 10 totally fine, acceptable things? Or are you a person who wants to swing for the, you know, swing for the wall? For the swing fences. For the fences. The fences. Thank you. Baseball metaphor. Thank you. Having trouble there. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it's, I think 
to be really great, you have to go past the point of comfort because you are looking for something that is different, that is unexpected, that isn't right, that something's wrong, that's really exciting and interesting. And, you know, there are going to be a lot of failures in that. There have to be, right? But I think it's worth it. And and unlike a play, which involves many, many people and like a lot of stuff, we as artists can hide our failures. <laughs> I mean, we can hide our failures. And I think a lot of artists have done that when you look at x-rays of paintings, right? Canvases got painted over. I mean, I always tell people it's just paper. I paint on paper all the time and then I cut it up and throw it away. Uh, or, or I make it into a junk journal or I paint over it again or I, you know, leave part of it showing and part of it covered. I mean, I, I think that, I think that if you're not failing, then the truth of the matter is you're probably not succeeding. You're just kind of coasting in okay land. And again, I will say, that's fine. That's a choice. There are many people who are totally fine with being okay. Uh, I always want to try to find a way to be just a little bit more, just a little bit extra. As my mother used to say, terroristically to me as a child, endlessly. Uh-oh. Yes, yes. A wise old woman said to me, uh, what is going to make this an A paper. It is kind of a famous line in our house because it would get yelled at us all the time at 2 a.m. when we had not finished our homework uh, and then thought we had finished our homework and then mom would say, this is a B paper. What makes this an A paper? And the answer always of what, how you get from a B to an A is, is putting in the extra effort, is going the extra mile, is putting in the extra details, the unique thought, the point of view, the personal perspective, the beyond the expected. It's not just answering the question. It's giving more than the reader expected. And I think the same thing is true with art, the artists that we love. I mean, I understand Monet and I appreciate Monet, but I never realized until this exhibit yesterday, that he was kind of a revolutionary. That he took all kinds of ideas from Japanese art that were revolutionary about composition and really turned the art world on its head by doing simple things like putting foreground images really in the foreground and giving them prominence instead of just sort of them being fringy framey things. And that that was insane to have done in those days. And people loved it. They lapped it up. And I think that, you know, so, and he's not an artist who I think of as controversial, right? Because it seems so pastoral and like, you know, easy, but but it wasn't at the time. And I think that that is exciting. I, I love that at least like three students brought Basquiat paintings to class at in the category of work that they hate. You know, there were several Da Vinci's that got shown as work that I hate. And that's interesting to me because I think that that means that those artists are so clearly swinging for something and missing a whole bunch of people, but then tickling some other people just in the right spot. And I think this comes again to you don't have to please the masses. We aren't creating for everyone, right? You're creating for just the people who like what you like. What I mean, I think it's the same thing as like, you can be the juiciest, you know, peach, that old saying, that Dita Von Tees thing. Uh, and then you run into somebody who just doesn't like peaches. 
you can't please everyone, so you might as well please yourself and the other people who are interested in the same stuff as you. I'm, uh, I'm weird and my art is weird and it's not totally what everyone wants to hang in their house and plenty of people are, don't, don't want to hang a creepy face or a weird abstract thing, you know, looking at them the whole time. But you know what? My house is full of that weird art and I love it. And that's, that's all I need, you know? So I think you have to find and be okay with who you are and then get past ordinary. Anyway, those are my five points. That is my boot camp feeling. Mom, what other questions and thoughts do you have? Well, I don't know if you want to read some of the communications that you receive from people who are in the two classes and respond to any of them or have thoughts about any of them. Um, I mean, I'll read a couple of them. I, so I got a little feedback from the students. I, I asked them to fill out a feedback form. And... You were asking for a critique. I was asking for a critique, so the good and the bad. Um, the biggest complaint that people had, which I totally understand, is that Tuesday, Thursday was really close together in terms of homework because class was every Tuesday, Thursday. So from Thursday to Tuesday, you had plenty of time to do homework. But from Tuesday to Thursday, it was really tough. Um, and so I hear that. So that I've been trying to figure out, you know, if I teach this in 2021, is do we do Tuesday, Friday? Do we do Monday, Thursday? I don't or know. There's not, even once a week might work. Or once also. a work, but that feels really dragged out. I don't know. So I got to figure that out. Um, but a lot of the nice feedback was great. One of the things, um, here, I'll read this one. It says, this is the toughest class I have taken in my art journey so far. And it is the best class because it kept me out of my comfort zone the entire five weeks. The format inspired me to take chances and create some different art with the help from the group. I love the longer timeline, letting ideas sit, and having time to explore by doing homework was helpful. We'll definitely take it again or the next level. You are actually thinking about teaching Boot Camp 2.0 in the next yes, year. I have a great idea for it. I'm really excited. I just got to work it out to see uh, if it will fit in the time. Uh... This person says, the class is worth every penny. I have lots of work to do, but I feel like I now have the tools to carry me forward to where I would like to be. And then here's a critique one that I like. She says, I love how we critiqued each other's work in the last class. I would like to practice giving useful feedback more. Practicing using useful feedback would help me articulate the vocabulary associated with the elements and principles of design. I think that was great. This class was exactly what I was looking for. Thank you. Um, lots of people say Zoom was fabulous. Um, so this was a great question, or not a great question, a great comment that somebody said. They said, I feel like my journey as an artist has just begun. Despite doing art for years, Julie, uh, at, despite doing art for years, apparently I can't read. Julie is a master artist and teacher, a true professional. I hope there will be a design boot camp too next year. But I love that idea of I feel like my journey as an artist has just begun despite doing art for years. That's a wonderful thought and idea, you know. I find it what really, I'm, really what, exciting. What I've actually found during this pandemic quarantine is that focusing on the future instead of on the past and how things used to be and what I'm not doing now that I could have done before, it keeps me positive if I think about going forward. One of the things is having these two young grandsons, so you're always seeing these kids figuring out new things and they're able to do 
today what they couldn't do yesterday and they're driving towards something new tomorrow which keeps me in a positive frame of mind instead of me sitting around saying oh god I can't go to the movie theater you know and bemoaning that and I actually just want to finish by this thought by saying I think one of the things that keeps teachers refreshed uh and not getting stale is they're always working with young people and so they're always having this experience of looking toward the future and where these kids are going and developing and that must be really wonderful i think that's true but i think anybody who's learning and interested in learning is young in some ways and keeps you refreshed. So right. I don't know that you have to be teaching six-year-olds in order to have that feeling of hope for the future because the act of learning is the act of saying, I'm going to be alive tomorrow to take this knowledge with me. When I truly believe that when you stop learning, you start dying. That that is the choice to detach from the world, to detach from being, you know, being part of what's new. It's like, I don't, I guess I'm not that young. I'm in my forties, you know? So I guess I don't totally understand people who have given up on the idea that they can learn new things because we all can. And that's really exciting. And that's, I don't know. It's what gets me up every day, isn't it? That there's something new and exciting that's going to happen today. Yeah. I just, I think you're right about it being associated with being young, mentally and emotionally young, is when you're still interested in learning and you expose yourself to things that you, situations where you can learn. Yes, yes. Uh, That's probably a good place to end. I will just say this one last comment because on a personal level I like it, which is this person says, it's the best class I've ever taken in person or online. Thank you. Oh. That's all. Just a just brag there. Uh, okay, so <laughs> let's talk about recommendations because that's a little learning for everybody. Um, what are you recommending this week, Mom? Okay. For my recent birthday, your brother gave me a uh, live Zoom cooking class in Indian cooking, which you took with me, which was a lot of fun. Indian food is something we both like and yet we know very little about it but the reason he knew that I would like that is because I have been listening to a series of free lectures which are available to the public on YouTube um, from Harvard. Harvard has a class in its regular course curriculum in which uh, scientists team up with people who are in the food industry, chefs or uh, restaurateurs or manufacturers, and they explore the science of certain aspects of why different uh, phenomena happen to create the food. So I really, uh, so I've given you the link for the series of YouTube Uh, uh, videos of each of these lectures this year 2020 and you can also go back there's a uh, an archive and I've also sent you the link to the article which describes the class but I mean there are topics like this the science of ice cream 
or of fermentation. So the one I had watched and sent to your brother was about Indian cooking and why the way flavors are put together in Indian cooking is very different than in, say, European cooking and how that is helping this chef who happens to be the, uh, uh, an Indian woman who has a restaurant in Thailand, which is, and she's the first uh, Indian woman to get a Michelin star for this restaurant, and how she's thinking about flavor profiles and putting things together which shouldn't work but do, and she goes through some of the chemistry of this. And actually, it's fascinating. You learn about the lives of these people, you learn about the food, you learn about ingredients that maybe you were interested to use or maybe you've always used and yet you didn't realize how they added to the flavor of what you were eating or making. So that's what I've sent. Cool. I like food. I like science. Mix them together. Who doesn't like that? Okay. My recommendation once again, less intellectual. Uh, I received in the mail from Michael's a surprise, which was a Caesar heat press. So Caesar is like the name in heat transfer vinyl. Um, they make fantastic heat transfer vinyl. And so they have this craft heat press, which I believe is exclusive to Michael's. And I've sort of eyed heat presses and kind of wanted one, but never sort of figured out the space for it. And like reviews on a lot of the heat presses on Amazon are spotty because, you know, they don't all work. Uh, and so this was a lovely surprise when this heat press showed up. I powered it up the today, made a project with it. Oh my God. Oh, I've seen the photo. Why did I wait so long? It's awesome. It's super awesome. It's su it's much easier. I was intimidated. I thought it was going to be hard, you know, and like complicated. I was going to burn myself and like, you know, all these other disaster whatevers. I, you know, I would thought they have like this big warning about getting it out of the box because it's 30 pounds. But then I was like, wait a second, my baby's 30 pounds and I haul him all <laughs> over. I can haul this heat press, right? Um, and so I absolutely love it. And I would say like, if you're a person who does a lot of heat transfer vinyl or like hot fix rhinestones or any of that kind of stuff, I think a heat press is a really fun, uh, addition. Now it is a space hog. I'm not going to lie. It's big. Um, but it, it really, it gets it on there so well, much better than iron. And it's so much faster because you just push it down and there's a timer on it and then it beeps and you open the handle and it does all the work, so. Are you gonna show the results of this uh, here on this? Uh, oh, the picture I told, um, I sent I you, I can't because that's for something secret for later. Okay. But I can, certainly, I can certainly quickly make another project because, you know, I have a heat press. I can do it anything I want. <laughs> so anyway, I'm really enjoying that and uh, I didn't think I would, but I like it a lot. So that, that is my uh, pick. So I think that's everything, unless you have anything else you want to add, Mom. Not a thing, except, you know, you keep saying my recommendations are intellectual, and it's not that they're intellectual. It's that you do stuff, and I think about stuff. 
There you go. That's a good way of thinking about it. And actually, but that's also true about our learning styles. Like I've always been a person who needs to learn by doing, and you've always been a person who learns by reading. So. Well, I do believe in reading the instructions. Eh, overrated. Overrated. Okay, so uh, here are some instructions for you in case you don't think they're overrated. So you can find me at juliebalzer.com or on Instagram as Balzer Designs. And we would love to hear from you. We love comments. So please send us an email or leave us a comment. And if you'd like to help the show, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or mention us on uh, social media or tell your neighbor. Just get people to tune in because that helps other people find the show. So thanks so much for listening and subscribing. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast. Thank you.